Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of God from the Old Testament reading found in Lamentations chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is God's word. There are a number of things that the church has forgotten how to do. Things which I believe, and I think scripture would support, things that would serve us well in the time in which we live. For example, fasting is one of them. I'm not talking about giving up chocolate for Lent. That's how we often think of fasting. I'm talking about setting aside regular times of avoiding food, not starving yourself, but allowing yourself to remember that there is more than just the needs of the body, more than food, more than drink, and allowing a time of hunger to sharpen your focus on the Word of God. Throughout its history, the church, by and large, has fasted. And in fact, Jesus himself, when he speaks to the the disciples, those who were listening to him in the Sermon on the Mount, when he speaks to them about fasting, he tells them not to twist up and disfigure their faces to make a big show of what they're doing, but he presumes that Christians are fasting. His followers will be practicing this discipline. I think we'd be well served by a discipline that sharpens our focus and reminds us to look to God our Father and Christ, the source of all that we have. Here's another one that it strikes me we as the church have gotten unmoored from. We've gotten unmoored from our ability to grieve, to in the face of death, allow that death, to be honest, that it impacts us. I know it's because some people are uncomfortable with the idea that after we die, people will be filled with sorrow. But you know what? That's what we're meant to do in the face of death. Not sorrow without joy. We'll get to that later in the sermon. But to acknowledge that death causes pain and loss. Did it strike any of you as a little bit weird that the royal palace in the United Kingdom in wake of the death of Prince Philip observed a period of mourning, which I read just came to an end, I think on Thursday or Friday, An old custom to be sure, but one that is certainly biblical. We read about sackcloth and ashes and periods of mourning. People acknowledging that death is our enemy, albeit an enemy that's been overcome. So fasting, grieving, and that brings me to the third one on which I really want to focus this morning. And that is the ability of the church to lament. 
It's a word that's not even really in our vocabulary. If I say fasting, you know what I'm talking about. If I say grieving, you know what that is. What does it even mean to lament? In short, it means to complain to God. It means to go before God in prayer that recognizes the struggle that's underway. It's not blaming God. It's not losing faith and trust in God. It is the ability to go to God and say, Lord, help me, because what I'm seeing and what I'm experiencing right now doesn't match up with what I know to be about true about you and your attitude toward me. And I think especially this discipline, this practice, to be able to go to God in lamentation would serve us so well in this day. Have any of you felt over the past week or month or year or decade that you've been locked in struggle with God? That you've had an inability to understand his ways, what he allows, what he does not allow, what he gives, what he takes away? There's actually an entire book of the Bible dedicated to lament. And it's from there that we get our Old Testament reading today. The book of Lamentations, it's believed it was written by the prophet Jeremiah. So you find it in your Bible right after the book of Jeremiah. And it was written in the wake of the fall of the city of Jerusalem in 587 BC and the destruction of the temple. Now we know enough about our biblical history to know that for the wide majority of God's people living in Judah, in southern Israel in that day, losing their city, losing their temple, being hauled off into exile, it was justified for a lot of them. The kings had become wicked. They disregarded worship of the true Lord God. The kings and the people along with them fell into worship of false gods. They lived against one another in confrontation and in greed and jealousy and lust. They were an evil people. But clearly, there were a few, like Jeremiah, who looked at everything that was going on around them and said, why, Lord? Why are you allowing this to happen? And so the book of Lamentations was penned, many believe, as a way for the people of Judah to worship and go before God with their struggle. To ask him, why? The beginning of Lamentations reads, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. How like a widow has she become, she who was great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has become 
a slave. Faith in the Lord God recognizes that what we see and experience does not always match up with what God says about himself and about us. So what is the Christian to do? The interesting thing is that though the book of Lamentations is a series of laments, of complaints to the Lord God, the reading which we heard this morning is not a lament. What does Jeremiah reflect on in the middle of his lament? And this text falls literally smack dab in the middle of that book. Something for you to know about Hebrew poetry, and this is really a, a poetic book, that when Hebrew poetry wants to emphasize something, it places it in the middle. You know, for example, if I'm giving the announcements after church, my custom would be either to tell you the most important announcement first or last, so that it's the last thing that you hear. But in the minds of those who wrote Hebrew poetry, things were emphasized by placing them in the middle and surrounding them with the other material. So when you're reading the book of Lamentations, these complaints against God for what has happened to their holy city, the place where God had promised to dwell with them, what do you find? The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. In the midst of his complaints, Jeremiah proclaims the unfailing love, the faithfulness, the constant care of his Lord. He knows that, though, despite what he sees, despite what he is experiencing as one of God's people, he knows that he is a Lord God who is indeed faithful, who never fails in his love, and will continue to be a God of mercy to his people. And it is out of that faithfulness that we know and trust that our God has toward us. That we are free to bring our laments, our complaints, our struggles before our Father's ear. So what might that look like? Well, it looks like this. It looks like acknowledging, yes, God, I know that you are loving and faithful and that you care about me as your child. And then it says, God, this is what's happening to me right now. This is what I'm seeing. This is my burden that I'm carrying. This is what caused me, causes me sorrow and grief. And then that Christian in faith says, Lord God, be the loving, faithful God that I know you are. 
Show your loving face to me. Show me your kindness. Show me your faithfulness and deliver me from what assails me in this moment. So it could be, for example, you're struggling to pay the bills. Okay? Lord, I know that you love me and care for me. You have promised through your son, Jesus Christ, and his word, that we are of more value than the sparrows or the lilies of the field. That you will care for us and provide us with what we need from day to day. Help me, dear Lord, in this struggle. Deliver me from this challenge. Please provide for me what I need because I know that you are loving and faithful. Or a person who's sick and afflicted with disease. Heavenly Father, I know that I am your dear child. I know that you have paid for my life with the blood of your dear son, Jesus Christ. But my body is afflicted. Disease is rampaging through my body. Deliver me, O Lord. Heal me according to your good and gracious will. Because I know the value I have to you as a child of God. What Jeremiah does is he gives us a pattern for taking all of our struggles, our burdens, our laments, and bringing them to our Father. And that's key, that he's the Father. We are more than just little peons here on this earth of little value. We are not just ants marching around on the ground and God is the bully with the big foot ready to stomp on us. We are his children. And children can go to their father, even with their complaints, especially with their complaints. Because the Christian recognizes that all of this finds its resolution in the one who conquered the grave and ascended to his Father's right hand. In our gospel this morning, Jesus tells us, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. The world will rejoice. Notice again, just as Jesus presumed that his followers would be fasting, so also he presumes that we will be lamenting, weeping, filled with sorrow. And because of that, the world will rejoice. Dear friends in Christ, there is no shortage of things over which the world rejoices right now. Because of the way it assails the church. And that will continue. It happened in the disciples' day. It's continued throughout history. And until this present age comes to an end, there will be sorrow. There will be weeping. And therefore... There will be lamenting. 
Christians who wrestle with what they see and experience in comparison to what they know to be true about their God. What does Jesus promise is the ultimate end to all of our weeping and sorrowing and lamenting? Well, it's that our sorrow will turn to joy. Because though we do not see him now, in a little while, we will see him. You will be sorrowful, Jesus says, but your sorrow will turn into joy. Jesus Christ has conquered sin through his blood shed on the cross for you. He has overcome the grave for you. And now sits at his Father's right hand until he comes again to give us inexplicable, unsurpassed joy. My dear friends in Jesus, those who are baptized into our Lord Jesus Christ, what do you think that means that we are baptized into Christ? means that we are where he is. We often think about Jesus being here with us, and indeed he is with us in his word, in his supper we're about to receive. But we are also with him. We're baptized into him. St. Paul calls us the body of Christ. So when you cry out to your father, when you bring what ails you to him. Your cries are right there at his right hand because Christ is there. Your prayers, your laments, your needs go directly into his ear. And he promises you your sorrow, your grief, it will become joy. The book of Lamentations, as I said, was set after the fall of the city of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple. It's not irony, it's not coincidence that the word of the Lord describes the return of our Lord Jesus, the new heaven and earth, in which we will live as a new Jerusalem where every tear will be wiped away where there will be no need of a temple because we will gather before our God and the throne of his son the lamb forevermore your God is faithful he has delivered you from sin and he will ultimately deliver your body from death as well. God grant you the ability in recognition of God's faithfulness to bring every care, 
concern, worry, struggle, even your lament to the ear of your Father. And find your rest in the good news that great is his faithfulness toward you. Your sorrow will turn to joy. Thanks be to God. Amen. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.